Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Hey, what's up, Rise? How's everybody doing? I love you guys. Good to see you. If you're new here, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today in this message. Also want to celebrate. Um, groups are about to start. We got uh, well over 200 people signed up for groups right now. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see that number double, and I know there's a lot of you that wait till the last second to start up for things. You wait for the last second to sign up for things. Um, this is the last second, so I'm warning you now. Now is the time for all of you who wait for the last I'm just going to be honest. I'm one of those. Uh, for all of you who wait to the last second, now we are at the last second. It's officially time for you to sign up. Um, so go to the Planning Center app, or not the Planning Center, the uh, Church Center app, and, uh, and sign up or go on our website. And uh, lots of great groups out there. I'm teaching two of them if you want to jump into any of the groups I'm in. Uh, I'm teaching a leadership group every other Tuesday and an apologetics group every other Tuesday. Uh, so if you're interested in leadership and you like to dive into those deep things, uh, jump into that. If you really like science, uh, 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 science, uh, philosophy, logic, reason, those kind of things, jump into my apologetics group and we'll talk about reasons for the, why we believe what we believe. All right, today we start the Hot Topic series. Let me ask you this big question. What is the hottest thing you have ever eaten? Not everybody at once. Wasabi? Every time I think wasabi, I think of that, that scene from, um, from Cars where he's like, wasabi. <laughs> Don't eat the pistachio ice cream. Anybody else eaten? You've eaten like something like truly, truly hot. Yeah. I don't want to hear from Pastor Karen. You lose every hot wing eating contest you've ever been involved in. Sorry. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad had um, this little garden in our front yard, and uh, he grew some kind of pepper. I don't know what kind of pepper it was, ghost pepper or something. It was, like, insanely hot. It was so hot that if you squeezed it in your hand and, like, got the juice on your fingers, it would burn your fingers. That's how hot the pepper was. And my best friend Joey lived across the street, um, and Joey's like, I'll eat anything, and I like hot stuff. And I'm like, Joey, eat this. And so Joey, he didn't even eat it. He just put it in his mouth and, like, like bit it with his teeth, so it squirted in his mouth. Homeboy takes off running, like going crazy, like looking for milk, you know, trying to, anyway. So hot stuff. Listen, when you eat hot stuff, like I'm a white Irish dude, and so I turn red. I start sweating. You know, this is where like, like black people, I, I wish I were black in this instance, because, you know, you can't tell when you eat something hot. You can't tell when you're embarrassed. You don't blush. I blush. And so I, I, I eat hot stuff, and I, I get all squirmy and all that. Um, there's certain topics that when you talk about do the same thing, right? There's certain hot topics that when you talk about that topic, you get all squirmy in your seat. It gets a little awkward. I don't know what to say about this. I don't know if I can say this in front of the person I'm around. All that kind of stuff. We are a church that is not afraid to talk about hot topics. So get used to it. Get, get This morning, just go ahead and squirm in your seat a little bit because I'm telling you you're going to. By the time this message is done, I'm going to try to offend every person in this room. Not, not really, but I probably will um, because I think that's the way it works. So we're going to talk about politics this morning. Is there a hotter topic right now in America than politics? It's funny to me that uh, uh, I, I planned this series months ago and even planned this message being the first one of the series months ago, long before all the things that have happened this week have happened. I planned this because I believe the Lord was leading me to plan it this way, which should be a reminder to all of us that God is still in control. He saw the end from the beginning. He saw this coming when you didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. Whatever. God sees it coming. 
He's still in control. And that ought to give you a little bit of security and a little bit of hope. And, and so, uh, so I had no idea when I planned to talk about politics this week that it was going to be as hot of a topic as it is. But lo and behold, uh, here we are. So uh, I'm just giving you warning today. Uh, I'm not going to say some things that you think I should say. And I'm going to say some things that you probably don't think I should say. My goal is not to say what you want me to say or what you don't want me to say. My goal today is to say what the Lord is saying to the church. So when this message is over, you can come meet me afterwards. You can cuss me out. You can tell me whatever you think about me. That's all fine and good. But you're not really talking to me. You're talking to the Lord because my job this morning is to get out of the way and let the Lord speak to his church. And so I was praying this week and I said, God, all right, what, you know, it was actually even before this week, but God, what are the things that you want to say to your church during this moment? Even before all this kind of stuff blew up this week, what are the things you want to say to your church in this moment? And I really feel like the Lord gave me five things that he wanted me to share with you. So you can get mad at these, you can get upset, you can curl your toes in because you're going to get some of them stepped on, but this is from God and from the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Number one, be careful not to become intoxicated by the new religion of politics. Say, what in the world are you talking about? Let me begin to unpack this. We live in a secular, humanistic, post-Christian world. And as part of this world, things have shifted. And people get intoxicated. They drink the Kool-Aid, if you understand that reference. They drink the Kool-Aid of, re- of the religion of politics. Now, when you get intoxicated, sometimes people don't even realize they're intoxicated when they're intoxicated. But when you're intoxicated, you generally do things you would not normally do. Sometimes stupid things. Oftentimes, stupid things, right? How many dumb rednecks have, have done something stupid with the phrase, hold my beer, right? And, and, you know, watch this, hold my beer. And so they take it off. So we got to be careful because I've watched and you have watched as people have said and done things over the course of the last few months, especially as they become intoxicated by the spirit of politics and they've said and done things that they would have never normally said and done. It's out of character for them. Why do they get to that place? Because you become intoxicated by, this, by the spirit of religion. Um, that's the world that we live in right now. Uh, I'm afraid that many of us are being influenced by a false gospel of politics and we're not being influenced by the Holy Spirit. If you know more about what Jimmy Fallon and Tucker Carlson thinks about an issue in politics than you knew what, go, what God thinks about it, then you are being influenced more by this society and this world than you are by the Lord. So within this post-Christian world we live in, it's almost like the air we breathe. It's so natural. It's everywhere around us to feel these certain ways and understand uh, that this is the way it's supposed to be, but it's not. And so within this post-Christian society, what you end up with is politics becomes the new religion. So religion has kind of disappeared out of mainstream society, and so it left a void, and politics has stepped right into that void, along with a few other things. Science replaces the Bible as the standard of truth. That becomes the place that everybody turns to to find out what is true instead of the Bible as it was years ago. Government becomes the new church body as people come together and and, and worship this new politic, and politicians become the new pastors. You end up looking for a politician to guide you and give you knowledge and help you move forward into the future and give you hope. 
In the midst of that, I didn't put it on here, but all of the critical theories that come out of a Marxist origin become a new hope of a new gospel message for the world and how you can make the world a better place without actually having Jesus Christ there. And this temptation is that we would subtly turn from Jesus being the hope of the world to a political person or a system being the hope of the world. And it's such a subtle shift that oftentimes we don't recognize it. And like being intoxicated and not realizing you're intoxicated, you end up doing things you would never do and saying things you would never normally say. And it begins to affect the way that we live. Religion has this thing about it. I I know something about it. I've been in ministry now 23 years in full-time ministry. Uh, More than half of my life now has been in full-time ministry. Religion has the ability to make people dogmatic and angry and ready to fight over the silliest things. Have you ever seen a church fight? (coughs) We don't really have those so much in the church now, but the church when I was growing up, 80s and 90s church, like you ain't never seen a fight until you've seen a church fight. It, It blows MMA out of the water. I've seen deacons punching each other in the front of the church. I've seen, I think I've seen some crazy stuff. Why? Because religious people become intolerant of anybody who doesn't agree with them. That's what happens. And so, uh, uh, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, we are going to sing hymns, dadgummit, because Jesus sang hymns. And get those choruses off the stage and keep those pews in our church. And and we're going to have the color of carpet be this way. And it has to be this way because it's always been this way. And I'm not bending at all because you become religious. And so you end up with a civil war inside the church based on some things that, that oftentimes are silly. Like I think God's in heaven going, are you serious? Are you serious? You're going to fight over chairs or pews. I sat on the floor. You can sit on the floor. You know, you know God the Father's in heaven like, I will take that chair away from you. Because you know? we fight over silly things. Well, what happens now as religion replaces politics, political people become religious. They become dogmatic and intolerant of any other views. And let me tell you a secret. What you are seeing in the world today is a good old-fashioned church fight. You just didn't know it was called that. (laughs) Because people are religious about politics, and they are set in their ways on that. And now they are fighting and shooting arrows at each other within politics. Are are you all with me? So what happens so often, though, is that we embrace this thing. We we drink the Kool-Aid of politics, and we don't even realize we're doing it. And we create false ideologies around politics. And we we turn people into the new savior. Uh, One of the things that's happened with a whole lot of Christians is that they have replaced Jesus with Donald Trump. I told you I'm going to offend everybody here by the time we're done. And there's an ideology that starts to form around this that he is the savior. And that's why people will lose their mind if he's not elected as if, as if God didn't see anything coming, as if God can only use one person, as if, and we will lose our minds over it. And I'm not talking about being concerned. You can be concerned on either side. But we treat people as if they are our savior and you end up creating a, a cult around a political person. Are you with me? If you just got offended at what I just said, you're probably exactly who I'm talking to. Everybody just smile at me so nobody knows I'm talking to you. So, yeah, preach it, Pastor. Yeah, preach it. So, uh, Dr. Brown, Dr. Michael Brown is a political apologist and one of my mentors. He wrote a column, and, uh, and we were joking about it this week. We said he wrote a blog. And I said, he doesn't write blogs, he writes articles and columns because he's Dr. Brown. But whatever. So, he writes this article. 
And uh, in this article, he starts to unpack what it looks like to be part of the Trump cult. But I'm just going to switch it around because I think the cult could be on either side. It's a political cult no matter which way you look at it. And so I'm going to give you some telltale signs from Dr. Brown. He's the expert of what it looks like. Like maybe this will wake you up from drinking the Kool-Aid and we can see if we end up with a political candidate that we are a cult for. Ready? Number one. You believe that your candidate and your candidate alone can be trusted. Everybody else is wrong. If your candidate says it, if Biden says it, if Trump says it, everybody else is wrong. They have to be right. If you think like that, you may be drinking the Kool-Aid. Just helping you out, right? And it's natural. That's the world we live in. But you have probably stepped right into it with everyone else. Number two, you tolerate no criticism of your candidate. You basically deify your candidate. They are the greatest thing in the world. And no matter who that candidate is, you think everything they do is right. If you think that way, if you can't criticize your candidate, no matter who it is, your your platform, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever, if you can't criticize your platform, if you can't see that it's not perfect, you're probably drinking the Kool-Aid. All right, number three. I'm just, I'm just waking you up. You might be intoxicated and not know it. You will turn on your friends and family members if they do not support your candidate. How in the world could anybody vote for Trump? How in the world could anybody vote for Biden? What a bunch of idiots. <laughs> you're drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm just waking you up. This is that moment I throw water on your face and you're like, oh my gosh. And you come out of your intoxication face. Just helping you out, right? So, so when you turn on everybody around you because they don't vote like you, what in the world are you doing? Wake up. You don't need this. Wake out of the cult. All right, number four. You will turn on your friends and... Oh, that's number three. Number four. You compromise your standards in order to defend your candidate. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So I'm going to compromise what I really believe in order to make sure I can defend everything they do. Because we deify or crucify our leaders. And so we want to deify these ones that we like. And so we want to compromise our standards in order to defend the, your candidate. Uh, number five, you have put all your eggs in one candidate's basket. If this person's not elected, the world will end. It is done. It is over. Wake up. We will keep moving. The sun will keep revolving. Like, like, like you will wake up tomorrow morning and the sun will come up. I promise you, until Jesus returns, it will come up. All right? It's not the end of the world if your candidate doesn't get elected. But yet we will act like that. Yet we will act like that. It may be a big deal. There may be harder times coming. It may be stronger. But it's not the end of the world. Okay? Don't overplay it. Number six, last one. You are unable to process information rationally when it has to do with your candidate. So I can't think rationally when I think about Trump or Biden or Republicans or Democrats. I have to align myself perfectly with them and ignore anything that would be against them. And so I can't think critically once again. And when we get like that, we end up all being dumber. And we become intoxicated by this new religion of politics. And it looks just like it did in the 1985 church I was in where the deacons are punching each other in the front of the parking lot because one side says chorus, one side says hymns, and I can't believe that anybody would agree with the other side and you divide the church and you get so religious and dogmatic and intolerant about it that you fight. All we're seeing is that on a political scale. And political fights are ugly. Religious fights are ugly. All right, so that was number one. Second thing I believe the Lord is speaking to us in this moment is that we need to recognize uh, or you need to recognize your divinely appointed responsibility to influence society for Christ. 
Now, at the same time that we're beating up on politics a little bit, you need to recognize, we need to recognize that we need to influence society for Christ. Now, we cannot be influencers of society for Christ until we have first been influenced by Christ. We have to align ourselves with Christ in order to influence society for Christ. But, but we're constantly being told in our society to pick a side. Black lives matter, all lives matter. Biden, Trump. Defund the police, we need more police. Republican or Democrat. I just want to tell you that I have chosen a side. You want to know what it is? It's God's side. I chose the side a long time ago. I chose the side before somebody told me I had to choose a side. And there's going to be more sides that are going to come in 2021, and they're going to say, choose this one or that one, that one or this. I don't know what they're going to be. I just promise you, because that's what politics does. But God says, you can choose my side. And that's the side that we always need to be on. And I've already picked a side, but, but that's what society does. It wants us to fight. Um, when I was thinking about this, in my mind, I was picturing the old American gladiators. Anybody watch American gladiators years ago? And they would do the joust and end up on two sides of the joust. And it's like, you got to be on that side or this side because that's all there is. And then you take the joust and you got to beat the other person off of their pedestal. That looks like American politics. Right? We don't have to do it that way. God has a side and that's the side that matters to us. Why? Because you aren't just an American. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God if you are a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm not really talking to you right now about this. But if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, your foremost responsibility is not as an American, it's as an ambassador to the kingdom of God. You see this multiple times in Scripture, but one of them is 2 Corinthians 5 right here, uh, 18 through 20. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are there for what? Come on, let me hear you. We are there for? We are there for Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You are an ambassador. An ambassador is the highest ranking foreign diplomat that there is. And ambassadors are appointed. They're not elected. Ambassadors are chosen. You were chosen by God to be his ambassador for this time and this place. Why did he choose you? He chose you to be hateful to everybody that disagrees with him. I'm glad somebody's paying attention. He chose you to use your social media platform to be ugly towards anybody that disagrees with you. Now, of course, that's not why he chose you. He chose you. Well, let's see what it says. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. What fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. That's what we are called to bear is the fruit of the Spirit, but... If I follow your social page, it doesn't always look like it. If I follow the things that you say or do, it doesn't always look like we're actually meant to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to speak on God's behalf. So we end up finding ourselves in trouble. Listen, how you do what you do is just as important as what you do. It's just as important as what you do. So you are, if you are a believer, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's what you are meant to be. As an ambassador, that means you do not get your own opinion. You might have your own opinion, but you don't actually get to share it. 
As an ambassador, I speak for the nation that I come from, and that's what I get to share publicly. So when something happens, I don't go, well, I think this or I think that. I say, my kingdom thinks this, my country thinks this, my president thinks this. You are part of the kingdom of God. Therefore, when something happens, the first thing that you and I should be doing is not spewing out of our mouth what we think. The first thing we should be doing is going, God, what do you think? And then speaking that. But we're not doing a very good job of that. I brought up um, walkie-talkies with me. Um, I I don't know what it is about walkie-talkies, but I pick one up and I instantly become an eight-year-old child again. <clears throat> I picked it up this morning, and I'm like, mayday, mayday, I'm going down, I'm going down, I'm going down. God, what do I do? And I'm waiting on God to respond. Oh, my battery's getting low. And so, so what happens is we find ourselves in a mess. America does something, and things are happening on political sides. People, things happen. They want us to divide. They want us to say, pick this side or pick that side. What do you do? You stop, and you ask God, God, what side should I be on? Let's see if he responds. You should be on my side, bro. It's amazing. It's amazing. Right? God, what law should I be most concerned with practicing? God doesn't know what questions I'm asking in advance. God, who should I be voting for for president? Uh Uh-oh. You should vote for me. (laughs) The point is, we do a horrible job of this oftentimes... But in the moments where you want to say something about something that matters like that, and I'm not talking about like what you're eating for dinner, but in the moments where you want to say something important, stop saying what you want to say and say what God has to say. Say what God has to say. I'm going to say something that will offend everybody in this room somewhere. Ready? Don't vote your values. Let that sink in. Because your values are usually tainted by your upbringing, your background, what you believe about one thing or another. No, you search the scriptures and say, God, what do you value? What matters to you? And I'm going to align myself with that. Your values and my values may not align with each other. But we need to align our values with God's values. And that's what we practice. That's how it works. But we all have our own opinions. So an ambassador never represents his own opinions or preferences. And, and our, our highest calling is not to change somebody's mind. It's not to prove a point. It's to be an ambassador and speak on God's behalf and bring reconciliation between the world and Him. So politics makes us miss our purpose too often. And sometimes we become so concerned with making a point that we miss our actual purpose. So we got to be careful of that. All right, so what is God saying to us? Number three, engage politics without practicing politics. Engage politics without practicing politics. As Christians, we have a responsibility to speak truth in every single area of society. Everywhere that there's influence from your home all the way to the White House. We have a responsibility to use the influence that God has given us to speak as an ambassador in that influence and and speak into it and, and help it to be a better place, to be salt and light in the world that we live in, in every level of society. And the church has a responsibility to strengthen what is good, to challenge what is lacking, and to denounce the bad things within political parties, even if you're part of that political party. But we don't do a very good job of that. Why? Because political and politics suck us in and form us into their image. It's the, it's the air we breathe in our modern society. It's the water we drink. It's everywhere around us. And if you're going to defeat it, you have to fight against it. 
Say it this way for everybody. You'll understand this a little bit better. Politics is like the dark side of the force. It sucks you in and it eventually turns you evil. This is my favorite PowerPoint slide I have ever made. Because <laughs> it is so true and it looks cool. Politics is like the dark side of the force. It sucks you in and it eventually turns you evil if you're not careful, right? Think about it this way. I mean, you say, oh, no, no, not, not me, Pastor Brent. But think about it this way. Like, like most of us would probably agree that politicians tend to go into politics with a very good heart most of the time. And they're actually wanting to bring about change. And they're actually wanting to be a good character person. And they see the problems. And they enter politics. And somewhere along the line, year 5, year 10, year 15, somewhere along the line, most of us would probably agree, politics ends up changing that person into somebody else. And they become just as dirty and nasty as the people that they didn't like when they entered. Would most of us agree with that? So why would we agree about that with the politician, but not agree with it about you and I? See, you started out just trying to say, I believe this, I stand on this, this is truth. And before you know it, you have become just as nasty as anybody else. And now you're calling out everything else and everybody else and all of their sins and their problems, ignoring your own while focusing on everybody else and being ugly and having no character. Why? Because it's like the dark side of the force. It sucks you in. So we get involved in politics. We steward our lives. We have to. But we have to recognize that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. So practice politics, practicing politics, it divides us when we are called to bring unity. Our job as Christians, part of that is to bring unity. Yes, you stand up for what we believe in. Yes, we stand on the word of God and these different things. Yes, we do. But we also do our best to bring unity, which means the words that we are speaking are bringing people together, not being ugly and hateful towards the other person. Philippians 4, 1 through 3, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's that calling? To be an ambassador. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort because it's not easy. So you got to fight. It's going to take effort. It's going to take sweat. It's going to take fight to kill your own flesh and not say what you want to say for the purpose of bringing unity we got to learn how to disagree agreeably. We're not always going to agree, but we got to be careful that we don't let politics divide us. And it takes the two people to divide, not just one. We have to make the decision. We're not going to let that be us. So what does that mean? Christians should be involved in politics, but not practicing politics. So what's the difference? What do you mean? Practicing politics, politics 101, the basics of politics, right? Find, expose, and attack the flaws of your opponent to make yourself look superior. Because that's a Christian model. That's what we do in Christianity, right? We find everything wrong with everybody else so we can make ourselves look better. You will not find that in the Bible. Jesus did not teach that. But that is the political world we live in. And so we will join politics and go, I will never do that. A little while later, we find ourselves doing the very thing we said that we were going to be against. Politics 101. Ignore your weaknesses and deny your wrong. <laughs> right? Just make sure nobody knows you ever did anything wrong. You ignore your weaknesses. And when necessary, just go ahead and lie. Just, just, let's just call it what it is. Just lie. When necessary, just go ahead and do it. That's politics 101. That's nothing like the gospel, is it? You won't find that teaching anywhere, even close to that, anywhere in the New Testament, anywhere in the life of Christ. You are not going to find it. So be careful that as we engage politics, we don't become political. Are you with me? All right, number four. What is God saying to the church of America today? 
America cannot be one nation under God if the church is not even a people under God. <clears throat> Let that sink in. America cannot be one nation under God if the church is not even a people under God. We are really good in politics at blaming everybody else and pointing our fingers at everybody else because that's what American politics teaches us to do. When the gospel always points back to us. I made a post this week and I said, what's the problem with America? Question mark. I am. I am. And I loved it because I started another Me Too movement. Underneath that, everybody was going, Me Too, Me Too, Me Too. And I'm like, we need a whole new Me Too movement with a whole other message. Because what's the problem with America? I am. And until we each, to quote the great theologian Michael Jackson, start looking at the man in the mirror and asking him to change his ways, until we start looking at ourselves and stop pointing all of our fingers at everybody else, nothing ever is going to happen good. But that is what the gospel teaches us, is that we look at ourselves first. We take the plank out of our own eye before we get the speck out of somebody else's eye. I know there's a speck in their eye, and I know you are dying to get it out. But focus on yourself first. Focus on yourself first. And so we end up being this people that we're crying out going, we have to be one nation under God. But we're not even under God ourselves. We're more acting like the world than we are acting like God. And we lose our saltiness. And when salt loses its saltiness, the food that it's meant to keep ends up spoiling. And what do we have in the United States right now? We have spoiling meat that stinks all around us. Not because it's their fault, but because salt is losing its saltiness. The problem is not the darkness. The problem is the absence of light. Of course the world's going to be dark when Christians don't light their lights. But we stop lighting our lights and darkness continues to grow around us. So we can't ignore our sins while calling out someone else's. My goodness. we got to stop that nonsense in the church. We have to live righteously and holy. And then we can deal with the other stuff. But it starts with us. The church is really good about going like, like, abortion is wrong. I agree with that. Meanwhile, their church is sleeping around everywhere. That doesn't do very well. It doesn't do very good for our witness to be sleeping around and then calling this evil. Okay? we got to be living right, and it focuses on us first. How do you do this? Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Okay, you are going to hear and have heard and have heard forever. Every politician, every leader say, God bless America. We're going to sing about it. Did you know July 4th is a Sunday this year? So God bless America. That's a beautiful phrase. It's awesome. This shows you the recipe for how God blesses America. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. What does it mean to be God is the Lord? It means you make him the Lord. You make him the king. He is the ruler. He reigns. He is the Lord of things. Nobody else. So if you want to have a God bless American nation, you give that over to him. It's a kingdom principle. See, there's a blessing that comes to any people who recognize God as their Lord. But this is a kingdom principle for everything. Whatever you surrender out of your hands and into his hands, you give it over to him. You make him Lord of it, him king of it. He can then bless it because it's out of your hands and into his hands. So when we give America over to the Lord, he can bless it. But what we've done instead is slowly keep taking America back away from us. Ronald Reagan famously said, if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we'd be one nation gone under. 
I would actually argue that we forgot a long time ago, probably shortly after he said that line, that we are one nation under God. And we have slowly, while it's still written on our money, we have walked away from that to the extent that we can start our, con con our congressional meeting with a prayer that prays not to Jesus, not to God, not even a generic prayer to one of those, but a prayer to a Hindu God that ends with a man or a woman that's so asinine that you look at it going, I don't know if he's joking or is he serious, but I don't think God's joking either way. And we wonder, how have we walked away from the blessing of God and all of the division that's happening in the United States? Well, look at what's happened in our country. We've walked away from his blessing. That's the way it works. Listen, my kids in my house are blessed as long as they're in my house. As long as they're in my house, then they have food to eat, they have protection, they have everything they need inside of the boundaries of my house. But if one of my children decides to sneak out of my house and go away to someone else, all of a sudden they have lost my blessing. They've walked away from my blessing, not because I don't want to bless them, but because they chose to walk out of the blessing that I have given them. And all of a sudden, I can't protect them when they're out there somewhere, but I can when they're here. Listen, God said, if you want to be blessed, stay in my house. If you want to be blessed, make me Lord and King of your life. Stay in my house. And you see that over and over again. And countries that refuse to worship. I look at a country like Haiti where they uh, were a wicked country for a long time and voodoo a country. And you look at the, the poverty and the problems there because they are out of the blessing of God. America is walking out of the blessings of God. Number five, last one, and I'll wrap up. Number five, apply God's law to all matters. <coughs> Apply God's law to all matters. What are you talking about? What's God's law? Well, first of all, a good citizen is going to keep the laws. Right? That's pretty obvious. In fact, if you don't keep the laws, if you don't do it long enough, you'll end up losing your freedom and you end up going to jail. A good citizen is going to keep the law. So here's a big question for you. What is the law of God? What is the New Testament? The Old Testament had hundreds of laws. Very important. They hundreds of laws. But the New Testament, the new covenant that we are under now, has one primary Christian ethic, one primary law. We refer to it oftentimes as the law of love. Listen to what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. They came to him and the religious leader said, Tell us, how do you, what, what's the most important command? And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. It's the law of love. That the most important law that we can focus on is not that you don't get tattoos and all that nonsense that people argue over. It's not hymns or courses. The most important law is do you love God and are you loving people? And the way you love God will be demonstrated in the way you love people. Jesus was so serious about that that one time he said, if you go to the altar to worship and realize you have an issue with your brother, leave your worship at the altar, leave it, and go fix it with your brother first. Most of us put the emphasis on, oh, I love God. But he says, no, if you love God, you will love your fellow man. And it, the way you love God will be demonstrated in the way you treat your fellow man. And then in John 13, Jesus is now, the night he's going to be betrayed, and he's giving some last-minute counsel. It's an important moment. And he says, a new command I give you. In other words, the old commands are going to become obsolete now. There's a new one that's going to supersede all of it. He says, new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you. Now that is a tough standard. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's the golden rule. Treat each other the way you want to be treated. 
This is sometimes referred to as the platinum rule. <laughs> it's above the golden rule. You don't treat them the way you want to be treated. You treat them the way God treated you. That's heavy. That's hard. So as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you make Christian Facebook posts. If you put the Christian bumper sticker. If you got a MAGA hat or MAGA, however you say it. If you, if you vote a certain way. No, no. He said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I've been preaching this for months, praying that we will get it. Through most of my lifetime, we have said things like we should stand out like a city on a hill. And we should be the light of the world. We should be a Christian lighthouse for everybody to see. But the truth is that we lived in a Christian America where most people pretty much acted the way you acted, even if they weren't Christians in general. So you didn't stand out all that much. We are in a moment in history right now where you have the opportunity to love people in such a way that once again you will stand out like a city on a hill. You will stand out where nobody can ignore it, where you will stand out like a sore thumb and people can't ignore it because you will be so different than the way everyone else is responding. And here's a big one for you. Love wins. So this is not fun. No, it's not. Jesus said these radical teachings like if somebody smacks you on the cheek, turn the, turn the other cheek. If they, if they take your cloak, just go ahead and give them another one. If they make you carry their bag, just carry it even further. Like, we don't like those. That's anti-American. But it's gospel. It's Jesus. And we're in a moment where we can be part of the solution by the way that we love each other. It doesn't mean you have to bend on everything. You stand on what you believe, for sure. But love each other. Refuse to fight back in the ugly tones and the ugly things that are being said. Refuse to become political. Refuse to become nasty. Refuse to become nasty. Bring peace in the middle of conflict. Bring love in the middle of hate. Bring healing in the middle of brokenness. Seek to understand, not just be understood. One of my big fears that I'm watching happen right now that's going to hurt the church so much in the future, if we're not careful, and we may have already done it, is that Christians are responding so poorly to this political and climate that we're losing our ability to be an ambassador. Nobody cares what we say because they've heard what we said and it was rude and it was ugly and it sounded just like everybody else and you're just repeating a political commentator. We're not repeating God, we're repeating some political commentator. And when that happens, we lose our ability to be an ambassador. We lose our ability to speak into this world. So I can't vouch for everybody else and what they do, but for our church, for our church, for you and I, for Arise, Let's be different. Let's be different. When people hate us, let's love them. When people punch us, let's turn the other cheek. Let's refuse to throw fists back. When they are ugly towards us, let's not be ugly towards them. That's politics. We are called to love. And check this out. It works. It's not easy. It's not fun. But it works. We have evidence of it. In the first century Judaism, Jesus walks, he starts this small band of disciples who then become a few hundred believers and it starts to grow. And they are amidst the worst political circumstances that you could think of. 
The reason Jesus had to say, if they punch you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, is because they're punching you on the cheek. The reason he had to say, if they, if they make you carry their bag, you know, five miles carried another mile, it, the reason he had to say that is because they would do that. So this was this horrible political climate, and everybody wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome. Sound familiar? Everybody wanted, and Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm here for. You don't understand. There's a better way. It doesn't make logical sense sometimes, but there's a better way. And over the course of a few hundred years, this really small micro group of extreme lovers that loved each other and loved their fellow man so much, they literally turned the Roman Empire upside down in the middle of persecution and hatred and everybody against them. Their extreme love worked. And it'll work for us too. It's hard. It's not easy. It's almost anti-American in the way that most of us were raised. But it's Christian. And it works. But we have to be extreme lovers. We have to be people that obey the law of God. Listen to me, church. The church wins or loses not on who wins a political election, but on how we love one another. Let me say that again. The church wins or loses based on how we love one another, not on who wins a political election. It's up to you and I. Let's be different. Can you imagine a world? Can you just, just imagine a world where people actually started to love each other and disagreed agreeably? And said, you may hate me for what I believe, but I'm going to love you anyway. And I'm going to love you so ridiculously that I'm going to pay your light bill when you ain't got money. I'm going to love you so ridiculously that even though you are my, quote, enemy, when you run out of groceries, I'll buy you some eggs. That's ridiculous love. And it still works and it still wins if we practice it. And that is what we are called to do. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes with me for just a second? <clears throat> we're going to receive communion together in a few minutes, but before we do that, there's some of you in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And God is calling you into a relationship with Him today. His incredible love is calling you back home to His presence and saying, come home. Throughout this message and throughout this, it's a weird message for this, but God is calling you, wooing you, saying, I love you. Come to me. Give your life to me. The most amazing decision you can make stepping into 2021 would to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, but so is blessed is the person whose God is the Lord. This is your opportunity. So without belaboring the moment or carrying on any longer, if that's you in this room with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you in this room, would you stick your hand up and wave it at me so I can pray with you? Just agree with you in prayer. Amen. Come on, pray with me around the room. Say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner and I need you. So from this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you and I will follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. If that's you here this morning and you just gave your life to Christ, do me a favor and Text 21777, text Jesus to 21777. And we would love to uh, start a 21-day devotional with you that we'll text you each day for 21 days and kind of walk you on this journey. If you gave your life to Christ, make sure you tell somebody around you or come see one of us afterwards so we can pray with you and, and walk with you on this journey. Okay, now 
I want to talk to everybody else. Do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your heads one more time. This is what I know. There are a lot of us in this room that if you are honest, if you allow the Holy Spirit to do his job and convict, if we don't become hard-hearted, hearted, we have turned politics into a religion for us. We are more passionate about a political figure than we are Jesus. And some people, that's crumbling down right now. And now is a moment to repent of those ways and say, I will not drink the Kool-Aid of society. I will focus on the Lord and make him the only hope of my life. No one else, no agenda, no platform but him. So before we go any further, if that's you, you say, Pastor, I need to surrender my life to Christ all over again. I need to give my life to him. I want to refocus my life back onto him. I've been focused the wrong way, and now it's time to come back to him. If that's you, in an honest moment of repentance, just stick your hand up and wave it at me. Come on, I want to pray with you around the room. Amen. Amen. Hands all over the room. Jesus, I'm just going to pray over you, and you can pray in your own way. Jesus, we repent of putting anything before you. That is idolatry. And we don't want to idolize a political candidate. We don't want to idolize a platform or position. God, you are the Lord of our lives and we focus ourselves on you and we surrender ourselves to you all over again. God, we refuse to be drinking the Kool-Aid of our society and acting just like everyone else. But we choose to be different. And Lord, I pray that you give us a strength to become extreme lovers. That when people would look at us, they would look at us the way they did in the first century as a spy went to infiltrate and see what the church looked like. And he said, oh, how they love one another. Lord, I pray that would be said of us, that we would become extreme lovers. Not responding like the world. Not being sucked into the dark side of the force, so to speak people that are so caught up in you that it's evident in everything that we say and do. All right, as we stay in this attitude of prayer, we're going to receive communion in just a second. And there might be some of us in this room that we need to ask forgiveness either from God or we need to let go of forgiveness issues we have with someone else. Maybe you came in and you have unforgiveness in your heart towards your brother, your sister. I just mentioned it a moment ago. Jesus said, if you've got that issue, then you need to not move forward. You need to fix that first and then worship. So before we even receive communion in just a second together as a body, I want to give you an opportunity and pray with you. God, for any unforgiveness we have in our hearts, Lord, we surrender it at your feet. We let it go. We refuse to be held bondage by our unforgiveness. Any hatred we have towards a fellow man who have done us wrong, and we might think there's a reason for that hatred or that animosity, God, we let it go. We lay it at your feet. Lord, I pray that as we entertain communion in a moment, Lord, that we are washed white as snow in your presence through your blood. Lord, we ask that you forgive us of all sin. Lord, that you forgive us of our own pride and our arrogance. And we lay ourselves at your feet. Make us holy. So that as we remember communion together, we do it with a beautiful heart that loves you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating the new covenant in his blood and the body that was broken for you in the new covenant. And part of that new covenant is love. And when we 
celebrate communion. It brings unity together. There's something beautiful about it in the midst of our world that's so disunified, coming together in unity. And it brings unity together around this, that I will love the Lord and I will love my fellow man. And that becomes what we are unified around because that is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Here to officiate communion, would you put your hands together for my amazing wife, Ada. She officiates communion. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.